It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Hello and welcome. Today, can Cristiano Ronaldo inspire a return to glory for Manchester United? Do Arsenal's players trust the process? And are Chelsea even stronger than we think? We'll also round up all the games in the Premier League on today's episode of The Game. I'm Hugh Wisencroft, and with me today, Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, and Gregor Robertson. How are you all? Not too bad, Hugh. Thank you. Well, thank you. Good, good, good. Nice to hear from you all. Um, I want to start by telling everyone, if you haven't already, catch up on Paul Hurst's piece in Friday's online edition regarding Cristiano Ronaldo. He says the call of home was too strong for Cristiano to resist. He says Manchester City had a um, modicum of interest, but talks never got to an advanced stage, whereas Manchester United say Ronaldo had a host of offers. But as soon as he knew that Old Trafford was a possibility, there was only one place he was going to be. It's an initial £12.8 million Almost £7 million in potential add-ons for this deal could be paid to Juventus. And it's a two-year contract worth apparently £385,000 a week. So just over £20 million a season plus bonuses. So I, I, I want to get this out there at the start because I'm going to come back to it later. It could be 60, 70 million quid for a player for two seasons. Okay. Now, I'm delighted by this, by the way, as all Manchester United fans are. So put money to one side. We've got it in our pockets and we might as well spend it. It was burning a hole anyway for the Glazers, frankly. There's two sides to this for me. One, the romance. Absolutely delighted by any sort of romantic football story. But when it when it concerns your club, it's extra fuzzy and warm. I, it doesn't matter what Cristiano Ronaldo does. In fact, it doesn't matter if he does nothing over the next two years. I will still be delighted by this deal, but I will come back to those those pounds a little bit later on for the impartial part of this deal for me. But I wanted to get your reactions to it already um, to begin with. Um, who should I start with on this? Alison, you would be delighted by having Ronaldo back, wouldn't you? Yeah, next month. I don't mind. What I do mind <laughs> is <laughs> I do mind that it's being treated as let's all drop to our knees and thank him for choosing us as um, a league, let alone a club. Whereas the Premier League is the product. It's the best league in the world. It's the most competitive. It's, it's just a fantastic place to be. And I think he's very lucky that at his age and after a um, ordinary-ish season at Juventus. I say ordinary-ish because he was expected to do more than he did. He was expected to take them to the level of 
competing to win the Champions League and they didn't. Um, I, I don't know why we're all feeling so grateful. I, th- I get why Man United fans are really chuffed and feels like a nice sort of building block for a team that needs some sort of um, ignition. But I, 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 I'm not grateful that he's chosen my league. I just think, you know, well, well done you and your agent for, for, for getting such a lucrative deal. Let's see if you can cuss it. So a resounding no in terms of the fuzziness and warmness <laughs> no, then from Alison Rance. I couldn't take her anywhere on the journey with me whatsoever. But um, but look, you know, it's all about having balancing views. Tom, what do you think about the move? I uh, suffered a bit of a bump to the head at the weekend and found out I've got a bit of a mild concussion. And the doctor said one of the side effects could be irritability or bad temper. So that's just some context for when I say that this is absolute bollocks. I, I Honestly, I've never been... <laughs> like less infused by something that seems to be overwhelming the entire football community. It's not um, Will Hugh, is it? <laughs> I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad you started so positively, Hugh, because I, I, don't, I don't really understand it either. Like if you, of all the, I, look, I know it's Ronaldo, you don't want to miss the chance to sign a world-class player, blah, 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 blah. But you've talked about all that money. Would Man United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer not have been better spending that money on a defensive midfielder? And I don't really see that Cristiano Ronaldo takes Man United anywhere differently. Like we'll get onto the game yesterday. He wouldn't have made much difference to that game yesterday. Um, they need a midfielder. They don't need another aging striker. Um, and I, I actually think it, in a weird way, it might end up kind of clouding how we view Ronaldo. You know, you're talking about this warm, fuzzy feeling that's based on him becoming that world-class player in the Premier League. You know, when he was that young player who did all the stepovers but with no end product to the world-class superstar that he was, that was incredibly exciting to watch. And now we're going to have a guy who's going to mooch about on the edge of the penalty area waiting for everyone else to do the work for him and probably keep Mason Greenwood out of the team. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why that's so exciting. <laughs> right, all right, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to stop all of this right could, now. This I, is- I think I'd be a little bit more excited by... By this than than uh, than Tom and Alison. Uh, think of what Greenwood, Rashford, Sancho are going to be feeling like when they look at Cristiano Ronaldo sitting beside them in the changing room. He's a pretty unique figure in in the last twenty years of of, uh, of of European football. His kind of presence, his stature, his confidence. Yes, he's not the same player. Yes, Man United need a. Uh, a central midfielder more than need a, another aging striker, but he's Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo, and I think he will be a, a huge lift for that dressing room and kind of raising, as I say, raising the stature and belief within that within that dressing room. And I think that's quite important. So, you know, also when I said, you know, we talked about this on Thursday and you know, kind of quite briefly, didn't think it was going to really happen, did we? <laughs> Even to City, it was like, no, it doesn't really fit. It doesn't really suit City at all you know because of their system Man, Man United don't really have a clearly defined system it's not like he doesn't fit Man United he's someone who's going to score goals I think um, and the amount of fronts that they're fighting on the number of fronts they're fighting on it, I, I think it's a no-brainer I honestly do I think yes you talk about that money it's, it's Cristiano Ronaldo and bringing him back I think will prove to be a, a good move Right. So it's it's two on one side, two on the other so far. And, you know, very balanced podcast from the Times, as always. And before I, I ask the major question on Cristiano Ronaldo, that was just me getting your reaction to the move. 
how amazing was Friday? Tom, especially you, you work in the digital space, right? Just the rumors flying around, it's City, then it's United, then United confirm it, and he puts a video saying he's leaving Juve, and it's just, it's honestly, it was dreamland. But I, I do think the social media age actually helped with what I think will be a legendary day in terms of the transfer window. Yeah, it's great for all the fans. For editors and journalists, it's an absolute bloody nightmare because you're trying to keep up with it all the time. <laughs> uh, also, it's a summer holiday, so we've got lots of reporters on holiday at the minute. So we're uh, we're a bit stretched in terms of resource to find out all these bits of information. No, obviously that that element of it makes it exciting. You know, I was speaking to a couple of friends who were at the cricket, for example, and one of them was a Man United fan. And they were just saying that he was just glued to his phone, was struggling to even watch the cricket, um, despite it being quite an exciting test match. So, yeah, you're right. That is exciting. And I d- look, I don't want to be the grumpy old man. As I say, maybe it's just the concussion. So give me, you know, give me a break. But <laughs> I, I just think I agree with Alison. There's a slight over fawning about this that I don't quite fully understand. And I think when you then factor in the logical bits, yeah, I, I don't get it. Hugh, you seem you seem enraged. Well, look, you, you seem to understand the romance in football when we talk about the EFL Cup or the FA Cup or Lincoln City. Why why don't you get the romance now? I don't get it. Listen, I get I, I get the, I get the romance of a guy coming back to a club. I do. I I understand it. It's happened before with other players. You know, Robbie Fowler went back to Liverpool. Blah 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 blah. blah. It happens loads of times. It's just. And this guy, yes, he's world class, but it's not as exciting to me as if they'd just gone and spent a load of money on Erling Haaland or someone. That's all. That's all I'm saying. There's not like the level of ro- romance in this because he goes, he, he returns to a club. It's only one of a handful of clubs, one of probably two or three clubs in the world that could afford them in the first place. And when Manchester City seemed to kind of pull out, uh, I, I don't get the romance on that side. Yeah, coming back to Man United. The thing for me is, as I say, is that there's players in this dressing room who are little kids growing up watching them, maybe a Man United's youth team, and like he was the idol, he was the <laughs> he was he was an absolute legendary figure, and now they're playing alongside him. And I think that will, I honestly think that can can elevate their play as well, and just his stature. Who, who do Man United really have like that? I don't. I, you could say Pogba. I don't think I don't think they, they have anyone on that level that's kind of but isn't that, isn't a serial that the winner. A serial winner. They don't this. have that player. They, the United have done this before. No, they've done it with Zlatan, they've done it with Pogba and they've done it with Cavani, that this sense that someone with an aura and a fantastic C V comes in and it's the missing piece of the puzzle. It will make all the young players yeah, I don't think it's that play amazingly better and there'll be some sort of cohesion and this is what United need. It'll just be another 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 big name that, that where they can show that they've got some money and it'll be fun. But I don't I agree with Tom, it's not what they require. I mean some ways you could say it's a backward step because they're they're following they're following the path of romance rather than one of pragmatism, which is what's required right now. I mean Zlatan and, and Cavani have both been a success. Pogba's Pogba's a whole other conversation, but those two guys have been a success, and I, I think I think Ronaldo will be as well. But what do you, what do you, what do you constitute a success? It, they haven't they've they been a goals. success in themselves. They've been a success, but they haven't they haven't made the team much better team than they ought to be. They both score goals. They both improve the team. And this is, as we say, it's a, it's a kind of developing Manchester United team. It's developing pretty slowly, but it's undou- unquestionably developing. Uh, and it's better now 
than when Zlatan arrived and it's better now than when Cavani arrived last season. So I think it's another step forward. I don't... Yeah, look, no two ways about it. They need a midfielder more than they needed Ronaldo, but they're saying Cristiano Ronaldo as not a bad option to have up front and no-brainer. Just very, very quickly on the romance point, if he'd come back to United after Real Madrid rather than going to Juventus with a like, right, I'm coming back to bail you all out of the mess that you're in and dragged the team up for the last few years of his career, then I could get on board with the romance. He's nearly 37. As Gregor said, he's kind of coming back to United because they're the only option and he's had enough of Juventus and decided he doesn't fancy it. That's not romantic. That's pragmatism. So that's fine, but let's not pretend otherwise. Show of hands then on the big question on this topic. Is Cristiano Ronaldo enough to lift Manchester United to another Premier League title? Who says yes? Wow. Okay. So that's four no's. Essentially, none of us think yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> no. will be enough. Why, Tom? Definitely not. Well, as I said already, they need at least one defensive midfielder um, more than they need Cristiano Ronaldo. And I also think he might upset some of the balance of the good things that they do. United are best when they move the ball quickly with people like Greenwood, Rashford, Fernandez, um, and with Pogba playing alongside them. I don't, I don't see how someone like Ronaldo will necessarily fit all that well. Yes, he's an aging striker, but he's not the same as Cavani, who probably works quite a lot harder than Ronaldo does and will do. Links the play a bit more than Ronaldo is willing to do. Ronaldo wants to get on the end of crosses, get into the box. We've you've seen a lot of pundits this weekend talking about how he plays within the frame of the goal. I, I think, you know, and Gregor, Gregor and lots of other people are making the point about, oh, it's great for all these young players to be in the dressing room with him. Jaden Sancho and Mason Greenwood are also going to be sat there on the bench going, yeah, I mean, this is fun, but I'd rather be out on the pitch because I don't see how you get Jaden Sancho and Mason Greenwood and Cristiano Ronaldo and Marcus Rashford and Bruno Fernandes in a team. So you're going to put Fernandes in, you're going to put Rashford in, you're going to put Ronaldo in. That leaves out one of Sancho and Greenwood. And fine, they can learn loads from him on training, but if they can't put it into practice on the pitch, their careers are going to stall. That's modern football. We spoke about this last the other week. These top clubs have to hoard a heck of a number of players, particularly in attacking areas, because of the number of games they have and intensive schedule is. That's it. They're, they're all going to play. They're all going to play parts. They'll all have injuries. They'll be, I think they'll all have an important role to play this season. And yes, that sounds like a lot of players, but you would say the same about Chelsea's front attacking options. And I, I don't think that's a problem these days. The best thing about United in recently is... United's left, attacking left. And that's where Ronaldo, it's all very well listing places he could play. That's where he plays. He plays on the left, he cuts in and he scores with his right foot. They do, I mean, you, you are completely messing with something that's almost perfect at United, their options on the left. So I don't. I think he'll play up front through the middle too, yeah. as a number nine. I think he'll play as a central striker. So I think I think there'll be space on the left. I think Jaden Sancho could play out there. Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, who knows what will happen with him in the next few days. He'll certainly be a utility backup if he is in the Manchester United squad for this season. You've got Mason Greenwood on the right-hand side. He can also play centrally. Cavani can play centrally. Um, you can put Jaden Sancho on the right-hand side as well. There are forward options for Manchester United. And the only reason I think R Ronaldo's move might not work out is I just think if Manchester United have a style of play, many people think they don't have one, but the thing that they sort of rest on as much as possible under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is 
counter-attacking fast play. Um, and when they're at their absolute best, it's when they play like that and they play like that really well, you know, quick transition. And obviously Cristiano Ronaldo at 37 years old might not fit with that. But who knows? He could play holding midfield. That might be the key. Well, remember that you know? game? Remember that goal? Remember that? The, was it Portugal? Uh, sorry, of course it was Portugal. But it was in the Euros when he kind of, he ran the length of the pitch. He still got, <laughs> he's ran the length of the pitch and did he score or did he, I think yeah, he got a tap yeah. in. He scored, that was yeah. like blistering pace, like eight seconds or something up the pitch. He, he's not, I know he's 37. He's he's like unnaturally athletic for that age. He's still, he can still move. He's not like, he's not like you're signing an old cart horse up front who's, who everybody's got to run around. Yeah, he's not someone who's going to do the pressing from the front. He's not going to do all the off the ball stuff. But when the ball, when it comes alive, he's still quick. He's still sharp. He's still, he's still got it. So... I wouldn't think too much of that of his age. Graeme Souness in the Times this weekend, though, said Ronaldo can't turn back the clock. He couldn't bring the European Cup back to Juventus and it could be a harder challenge in the Premier League in many ways. I think Alison pointed to that already. You know, it's a, it is a, a tougher league. So again, show of hands, who thinks this move will work out? Yes, Gregor yes. Robertson and Sorry, myself. That was a, that was a silent... Dep- yes. I mean, I guess it depends <laughs> on what you mean by work out. Will will he score goals? Almost certainly. He'll probably score a few hat-tricks against Brentford and Norwich and everyone will be delighted. Will the fans be excited? Yes. Will it maybe put even more pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to win something? Yes. Will United win anything? Mm, jury's out because it's just another very talented attacker to stand on the edge of the box and throw their arms in the air when Fred misplaces a pass. I, you know, So it depends what you mean by will it be, will it work out? I still think, I still think we're doing him down. <laughs> if he gets the service, he's going to score. He's, he, yeah, he, just he, won the score goal, he just won the golden boot at the Euros. I think he's the fastest player to 100 goals for Juve, something like that. He's scoring bucket loads of goals still. If he gets the chances, he'll score them. And Man United have enough options around them to create chances. Of course they'll score goals, but they'll still then probably draw some games like they probably should have done against that's Wolves and like they did against Southampton. And we've, we've said yeah, but that's, that, we've agreed, we've agreed so with why, that. Okay, fine. But, but it, all I'm saying is it depends what Hugh means by will it be a success and will it work out. And I think a lot of people think, oh, this is the final piece in the jigsaw. They're going to win loads of trophies. And I don't think that's the case. No, I don't. And actually for me, this move working out is Manchester United being challengers. You know, because actually at this point in time, I'm one of those Manchester United fans who's sitting there saying, we're probably going to be third or fourth. And for me, a good season is probably going to be defined by how close we get to the title rather than if we win it. I know a lot of Manchester United fans think this is the year they are ready to win the title. But if you watch the game against Southampton and the match we'll talk about next at the weekend against Wolves, then for me, this is a team that is still short. But of course, the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo still to come into that side. So so what do you think, Alisson, Ronaldo would have been thinking watching that pretty laboured 1-0 win over Wolves at the weekend for Manchester United? He would have been thinking, oh, just think of the difference I could make if I was wearing wearing the gold of wolves. <laughs> yes, because that's absolutely. all they need. That's all they need. Absolutely, wolves, isn't yeah. it? Is is somebody with um, a bit of arrogance, actually? And I, I think that Ronaldo definitely has that, and I love watching that. Um, and I mean, oh, to have that pace behind you as a new wolves striker, um, lovely breakaway moves. Um, Almost, you know, joie de vivre, we don't care, let's just go for it. Uh, but they're, they're, they're stuttering up, up front. And um, it, it was a strange game because United, yes, it's it's admirable that they're breaking records for um, wins on the road. And 
their resilience and getting over the line when they're not at their best. But they didn't look world class, Manchester United. It was there was some world class defending. Well, there was a world class save and there was a world class world class clearance off the line. But really, I, I, if you're thinking this is the season where everything comes together, they're not the highlights reel you want, is it? Juan so, Bissaka doing a really really intricate clearance off the line, and David de Gea um, suddenly finding some form after some pretty dull seasons. So, I, I mean, if yeah, if you were Ronaldo, you'd be thinking, uh, I, I quite like Wolves. I could make a difference there. Yeah, well, Alison's right. Wolves were excellent. And it's the first time I'd watched them uh, in a full match under their new manager. And I was looking, looking just before we came on, they've created 45 chances this season, uh, joint second with Manchester City, only behind Liverpool. And it is interesting they've signed um, a striker on loan uh, to partner Raul, Raul Jimenez, maybe give him some support. But Alison's right, they just they just need a finisher. They just need someone in the box with maybe that bit of confidence and a bit of arrogance. I thought they were superb. Um, Traore looks to have been given a kind of new lease of confidence, new lease of life in terms of his permission, if you like, to kind of attack at will. If he could add finishing to his game, he would suddenly look like an absolute superstar. But... I think to your point about Ronaldo, it it would have been a bit of a, oh God, that's, I'm not mad about playing with this team because they didn't create, you know, Greg is talking about if they can create chances, he'll score goals. They didn't create that many chances. I mean, Mason Greenwood's goal is kind of a drop of the shoulder shot cross that the that Jose Sarr should have saved. United really, they looked quite laboured. They didn't look that exciting. Um, as Ellison says, Solskjaer's team's ability to get points and get wins some people might call it luck. Some people might call it resilience. But I just can't see can't see that lasting all the way through the season. One big incident in the game, Gregor Robertson, well, result-defining incident, really. Paul Pogba clearly going over the ball in the challenge with Ruben Neves, catches him on the shin pad right in front of the referee, Mike Dean. It then led to the goal. The ball went straight back to uh, Mason Greenwood, who finished. I mean, it was in the act of the build-up of the goal. So really, did you think the goal should have been disallowed? I'm really conflicted about this, actually, because I think it was a foul. But the way that Neves kind of took a step or two and then went to the ground, it didn't, you know, it wouldn't scream out like an immediate kind of over-the-top challenge. And the ball, I think the ball really kind of clipped the bottom of his heel as well, Pogba's maybe, and it like so skidded along. So ultimately, it led to the led to the goal, so it should have, it should have been pulled back as a foul, but I think that's another one of those ones that's fair. That's kind of quite, you know, if you, if you if you lets that go, no one's talking about it. If it doesn't, is it not in the lead up to to the goal? It's not. A, it's not a terrible challenge, but it was a foul. It was over the ball. I mean, look, this, I'm saying this as a Manchester United fan, but I've said to you guys before, VAR light cannot work. Note this down, listeners. I've said it before. That is one where VAR should at least be telling the referee to have a look. So again. I'm never saying with these VAR light ones, VAR should overturn it. They immediately have to overturn it. But I still don't understand why. Yeah, no one wants interference from Stockley Park. Okay. But on those, all you have to do is ask Mike Dean to have another look. And I I still don't know why. You know, it's great that we're having less interference, but it's led to a goal. You know, I always say this. It's led to a goal. They should 100% be asking him to have a look. And they didn't. I just think it was harsh on Wolves who played really well as well. Um, I don't want to labour it because there's going to be loads of these every week. But anyone else on whether it should be a goal? 
I think it probably was a foul. Like Gregor, I initially watched it and thought, nah, good. I like, you know, I like this new style. Let's get on with the game. But when I watched it then on much of the day and saw the slow replays and the fact that Pogba did clip the shin pad, I think you probably have to give it as a foul. It actually reminded me a little bit of um, the Patrick Bamford incident from the end of last season with the um, foul. I think it was maybe against Southampton where he didn't go down, didn't go down in the box and then said to the referee, do I have to die for a penalty? And a lot of the pundits were like, oh, well, Neves' reaction is really strange. And actually what they meant was that Neves didn't jump in the air, grab his shin and roll around as if he'd been cut in half. And actually, if we want this new form of the game where we're letting challenges go, but actually we're being sensible about it, it should have never should be applauded for that instead of said, oh, well, you've, you know, he should have made, you know, made more of it. It was a delayed reaction. We should applaud him for that because actually he got caught by a dangerous challenge, but he didn't get cut in half. And he looked at the referee to say, is that, hang on a minute, is that not a foul? And then goes down because he's like, okay, well, I'll have to go down if you're going to give it. Actually, as you say, Hugh, maybe there should be some retrospective. Yeah, that was a foul. Fair play, Ruben. You didn't dive around, try and get Pogba sent off, but it is a foul. But that's that's where the dangerous grey area that we're it's, in. It's, it's consistency. A straight leg tackle off the ground with studs showing. Granite Xhaka's was lower at the weekend. He was he was lower on the ground and he made contact with the ball. Does that mean you think it should have been more than just a foul? It could have been. I mean, if, if Mike Dean gave a yellow card, I wouldn't have complained either. If he gave a red card, I probably would have. But ultimately... You've played football. So when a player goes over the ball in a challenge, straight leg off the ground, uh, what's the rules anymore? You tell me, because I thought that was a really bad challenge that everyone would be rushing into the middle of the pitch to confront Paul Pogba over. He's just about made contact. Graham Sooness, not to bring him up again, was calling it a leg breaker. I don't think, I know what he meant, which is that if he'd landed on the shin pad in another place, it could have been a very, very different outcome for Ruben Neves. But all I'm saying is, Granite Xhaka... His challenge was lower. He didn't go over the ball, but he also left the ground with a straight leg, with studs showing. He got a straight red card. I don't think anyone was complaining about that, were they, at the weekend? So uh, all I'm saying is where's the consistency? Because that's what this apparently is all about. You should watch two matches and roughly speaking, be able to predict the outcome of, of the, the officiating, but we just can't right now. I bet you in two months' time they rejig this again because there'll be an outcry over their inability to know how to handle um, such incidents in the build up to goals because they don't the priority now is this sense of a goal being scored everyone celebrates everyone's very happy and then it's pulled back for something that happened earlier that's one of the anathemas they don't want to do that anymore and you don't review um a decision if it's about a yellow card or just a foul. It has to be about serious foul play. And if the if the VAR is whispering in his ear, it's okay, it's okay. It wasn't it wasn't a red. Then they're not going to do anything about it because it looks like they're they're, they're going back to being pernickety. You're stopping a goal that looks like it's been scored. You're stopping it because of uh, bureaucracy. And that's that's the problem. Whereas whereas in in fact. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, you. If there is consistency, it probably was a red anyway. So it's it's they're bec- it's becoming a mess because they're trying so hard not to interrupt celebrations. I don't necessarily think it was a red, but all I'm saying is how is well, one a red? You are though, you. You are. You're saying where's consistency? And if Jack yeah, but I'm saying red, how is what, how is one a red and the other not even a foul? That, that's what I mean. I'm saying like they're so far apart 
in terms of one is not the whistle has not even gone for one. Another one, a player has been given a straight red card. I'm not. I'm not saying where the point should be that there's consistency. They should be close. I mean, it's not always that they should be exact. I don't think every referee is going to be exactly the same. But you should have a rough understanding of what a straight red card is and what a foul is. They shouldn't be two similar incidents. Shouldn't have those two outcomes for me. Gregor, you've had your head in your hands. Go on, mate. <laughs> I just don't want to see that being a red card. I, I, I know we know now that Jacques is a red card because he's he's, he's kind of taken two feet off the floor. It's a lunge. It's a jump. It's an unnecessary one as well. Pogba's going to try and block the ball. He's gone over it very marginally, and he's clipped him on the shin pad. It, it, sad. It shouldn't be this way, but. It has to actually clean him out for that to be a red card, I think. And I'm happy with that. <laughs> he didn't clean him out. He clipped him on the shin pad. He's probably got a little scratch in his shin this morning, which I'm sure is quite stingy, but he's okay. You'll end up with more broken think, legs that way, I Gregor. Think, think, you can't no, tell no. players, it's okay for you to go over the ball with your studs showing. And the only thing that you've done wrong in this incident is broken his leg. I mean, you can't let those... That's endangering an opponent, whether or not you you make huge contact with them or not. And that's why I think it should be a foul because it's dangerous play. If there's no contact... It's a foul, but it's not a red card. But exactly. But but you can't endanger an opponent and then say, well, you know, I don't want it to be a foul. Keep doing those challenges all game long. And then suddenly someone's laying on the floor with a broken leg and that's the one that you send them off for. You know, you've got to protect the players. Come on, man. Uh, I think we, we can go down a wormhole here. I think, personally, I think if that is the price we're paying for more of a flow in the game and a bit more of a lenient approach and VAR getting involved less frequently. I'm happy for it. Okay. Well, that's all wrapped up then. Thank you very much, Gregor <laughs> Robertson. <laughs> up next, we're going to get Henry Winter's views on the situation at Manchester United. And you can read Celtic and Millwall, former Celtic and Millwall striker Tony Cascarino's views in the Times right now as well. He says Old Trafford could be a theatre of dreams once again. So make sure you're subscribed to The Times and Sunday Times. You can sign up today and get yourself a month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Let's say good morning once again to The Times Chief Football Writer, Henry Winter, to take a look back at the big stories of the weekend. Hello, Henry. How are you? I'm very good, Hugh. How are you doing? Oh, ecstatic as a Manchester United fan, of course. Cristiano Ronaldo back at the club. I, I wanted to ask you really where you think he will take United in the next two seasons. Could they win a Premier League title? I mean, he's a winner. Throughout his career, from his upbringing to the relationship with his father, to the relationship uh, with Ferguson, who drove him on even more, the, f- the fire within the relationship with Messi, when Messi was winning the, the Ballon d'Ors. I mean, that, because of his innate nature, his DNA, and because of his experience, nature and nurture, you know, there's a fire lit early within Ronaldo and that flame hasn't gone out even at 36 even with all his success and Ballon d'Ors and Champions Leagues and titles he's an absolute winner you don't lose that at 36 not with someone like his with his mindset so he'll probably be keeping an eye on Messi at PSG see how he's doing and that will continue to drive him on even more so look he is the ultimate in elite winning standards and you know, Manchester United, you know, they will respond to that. Mason Greenwood, I mean, you, you saw him yesterday, you know, saw how he's excited that Ronaldo is coming in. You, you had to look at Rashford's tweet, wow, wow, wow. 
that he's coming in. More experienced players like Bruno Fernandes, very excited as well. I mean, it's a huge thing for, I'm not a Manchester United fan, but I know, you know people there and players and fans and staff. And to a man, woman and child, they're absolutely thrilled. The sheer excitement. I mean, I've been getting texts from friends who've been Manchester United season ticket holders for 40, 45 years. And they are now taking, you know, and they go to games with their their offspring and their kids, who some of them may have been too, too young to remember Ronaldo in his first pomp at Manchester United. But they know the legends. They, you know, they, you know what kids are like, you know, they've got access to every bit of footage. They know Ronaldo's a, a genius and the buzz he's going to give to the place. Everyone's sort of focusing on the sort of the commercial side. And we know he's got, what, 200 million. So he's got half a billion followers on social media. You know, that would be absolutely huge. And you've only got to look at Juventus' social media sites taking a hit without him and Manchester United's will go up. So all those sides, you know, I can only see pluses. I can see Greenwood responding. I can see Rashford responding. I can see Manchester United as a team. I still think you need a central midfielder, arguably another right back. But it's, I think it's a win-win for Manchester United. Any question marks over their approach, though? Because there are younger players who other clubs are spending a significant amount of money on, but could be their long-term future. I mean, it could have been Harry Kane for at least the next five years of good goal scoring in his career. You've got uh, Erling Haaland, of course. Kylian Mbappe looks like he could make a move. Could have been available on a free next summer as well. Are Manchester United counting themselves out of the race for those players? Well, I think Kylian Mbappe has has got a relationship with Real Madrid, certainly an emotional one before a contractual one. And I think he'll probably end up there. You look at Erling Haaland. Um, I mean, he is clearly going to... I mean, he's a, he's a fabulous, fabulous player. And because of the release clause, uh, NB Harry Kane, um, you know, he will be in such demand next summer. I mean, you know, Solskjaer's got a relationship with him. But so do Manchester United through his father, Alfinger. So, uh, and it's just a question of who wants to, to dance with Mina Riola on a very expensive dance floor. And if that city next summer, which you imagine they'll go all out, particularly having missed out on Kane this summer. But you look at Manchester United and you look at their development. I, I mean, I can't see Anthony Martial and Dan James of their attacking players being there particularly long term. But then you look at Mason Greenwood and you look at the way he played yesterday and you look at the fact that he's prepared to be a Manchester United centre forward with all the sort of the baggage and emotion and expectation that goes with that. And then he's happily goes out wide and, he, you know, when Cavani comes on, he scores the goal from then. You know, you look at the attacking players that Manchester United have got. I don't think that's an issue for, for, for United. I think it's still central midfield. I think if, if a Declan Rice or whoever becomes available next summer and, and Rice probably will then you would think he would be the, the target. Um, but look, you're a Manchester United fan. I mean, it's just absolutely massive what's what's happening to your club at the moment. And the buzz that Ronaldo brings. Mason Greenwood is 19. I mean, I'm annoyed he's not in the England squad and I don't know exactly what's going on. And the fact that Southgate was talking about, he's spoken to the player and to the club and to Ollie and to uh, Greenwood's family. So, I, I don't understand that. I mean, he's 19. Southgate's committed to young players. He's got Bellingham, who's even younger in there. I know it's a slightly different type of character to, um, to, to Greenwood. But look, Greenwood is going to be Manchester United centre forward and England centre forward, you know, probably for five of the next eight, ten years. 
Um, so I, I don't think Manchester United have got too much to worry about from a cutting edge. On the transfer window, which will come to a close uh, tomorrow, is this the maddest, the strangest transfer window that you can remember? Well, it's the strangest in terms of, everyone said post-pandemic, um, post-ESL, everyone's going to be tightening their belts. And yet you're still seeing Real Madrid pleading poverty, still pursuing the ESL, and then they go and offer, what is it, 150 million quid for, for a player who's out of contract, soon be out of contract. I mean, so... You know, there's a, there's a microclimate, economic microclimate within football at the top, which doesn't seem to sort of respect um, issues. And you look at Manchester United's spending. I mean, you look at Arsenal spending. I mean, Arsenal, they're not necessarily improved them. They may improve them in the long term, but they've spent, what, 130, 140 million pounds. So it's huge. But I mean, look, I can remember sort of crazy days in the, in the past. I can remember being at, uh, having a lunch at Arsenal on the... Um, in fact, it was the eve. It was a late lunch. It was a, an early dinner on the evening of the transfer deadline day, and Andre Arshavin just sort of walked through, laughing his head off, saying, "I'm hoping to join. I'm hoping to join." And he hadn't even had his medical yet. He hadn't even signed the paperwork yet. The paperwork got held up in the snow in Moscow, apparently. So, look, we've seen some sort of bonkers signings, but um, before some bonkers days before. But in terms of the big names, Ronaldo, Messi. You know, Jaden Sancho is a huge name as well. Um, Rafael Varane. I mean, we haven't spoken about him. You know, it was a great day of positives for Manchester United at, at Wolves, beyond Greenwood, beyond all the singing about Ronaldo. But Rafael Varane, you know, the way his first touch, stepping into midfield, challenging Jan Moutinho to, uh, to win the ball off him, which it ricocheted clear. And then Imperius in the air, reading exception. And Maguire got caught out. Uh, briefly at the start of the second half and this Rolls Royce was a French defender just sort of moted over and blocked out the threat I think it was from Trincao you know and and then he, he provided the assist as well for, for, for Greenwood so I mean yeah I think you're right in terms of big names moving it's been it's been pretty spectacular it's fantasy football now let's quickly reflect on uh, a couple of the games at the weekend, though. Let's start with the game at Anfield. What do you think we learnt about both sides in that one-all draw between Liverpool and Chelsea? Shows why Chelsea are title contenders, and I think they should be favourites for the title, particularly as Manchester City didn't get Harry Kane. I just think that, you know, if you make a contrast between how Mikel Arteta responded to going a man down and how Thomas Tuchel responded to going a man down, I mean, it was just the way that Chelsea went effectively, was it 5-3-1? My maths is terrible. 5-4-1. Is that right? 5-3-1. I failed maths at school. And and he just kept the the, the back five. He brought Thiago Silva in. Obviously, Conte um, sort of limped off. He was slightly injured or whatever. Um, And Kovacic came in. All the players knew exactly what they had to do. There was some fairly skilled time wasting, whether it was players getting cramped, whether it was people taking too long over goal kicks, whether it was arguing with a referee. I mean, it was just... I mean, there was one point, I think... Aspilicueta and Rudiger were down. It was like sort of synchronized swimming. We both had their sort of legs in the air, sort of um, with with obviously terrible, terrible cramp, which fortunately didn't stop them from getting up and, and playing on a few seconds later. So it was just a masterful European, accomplished, mature performance with ten men. And in fact, they probably had the best chance of the second half with uh, with Kovacic, and they just frustrated them. So I think they've got. 
you know, and absolutely a manager who's in the top three in the world. And I think he was voted best manager in, in Europe, obviously with the Champions League success in Tuchel. The way he set them up, I think his emotional engagement with the players, his his skill set there is is fantastic. I think his tactical mind is is second to none, probably on a par only with with Pep, arguably Klopp. So I, I just think they're in a fantastic place. You look at Christensen. I mean, you know, there's some suggestion whether he'll sign his new contract. I mean, Chelsea absolutely have to get him to sign his new contract. Rudiger's become an absolute monster in defence. What a defender he is, and Tuchel's had that impact on him. Reese James, I know he got, rightly got sent off for the handball, but what a player he's developed into. Mason Mount, I mean, <clears throat> we've always known about the skill and that and that lovely little sort of touch. He took the ball out of the sky and I think he took the ball away from Trent Alexander-Arnold. What a player he's become. And you look at defenders, I mean, <clears throat> sorry, central midfielders. I mean, Jorginho, you know, a year or so, the, the critics were on his back and Chelsea fans were on his back. And, and now you look at him, I think he's been voted European Player of the Year. And, and what a player he's... And Tuchel is just has to take the credit for that, for his man management, for his simplicity of tactics, for his energy on the touchline. And the key thing is where a lot of managers like Arteta fall down is the fact he's so decisive and intelligent and shrewd with his decision-making during games. And it showed against Liverpool. Just on Mikel Arteta then, do you think Arsenal fans should trust the process? Because it was a chastening weekend. Trust the process is becoming like mind the gap in North London terminology. Um, I mean, it's almost mind the gulf now. I mean, if you're an Arsenal fan and you're looking at the table and you see Tottenham top and Arsenal bottom with the North London derby on the horizon, I know it's at Arsenal, but that is a huge game for Arteta. If that, if that becomes messy, you know, if Kane starts bullying Pablo Mari, if Jungmin Son starts, you know, exploiting the gaps in Arsenal's defence, then then Arteta is going to be under serious, serious threat. I mean, look, clearly he is he is already. I think he's sort of two to five in the in that horrible sack race. I can understand what he's doing and in terms of trying to get younger players in, but then he goes and does strange things like signs Suarez. Cedric Suarez, he then goes and signs Willian. Willian should not be at the club. I know he's gone now to Corinthians, thank God. Cedric Suarez shouldn't be at the, the, at the club. Granit Xhaka, who he was trying to sell to Roma, who clearly wanted to go there. And then he gives him a new contract and makes him captain. And then his reward for that is Xhaka, as is his one, gets another red card. And then he's just indisciplined. So look, there are fault lines throughout the club in terms of... so. Arteta, you could argue, is actually a sort of symptom of the problem in terms of somebody who hasn't got a grip on their part of the club, just like there's an owner in Stan Kroenke who doesn't have a grip on the club and has allowed it to drift and has appointed the right people. The executives aren't strong enough. They're not enough leaders in the boardroom. They're not enough leaders on the pitch. I mean, who should really be Arsenal's captain? Kieran Tierney. And then he has one or two um, injury problems. Aubameyang's not a captain. Let him focus on you know, being a striker and getting to games on time. You know, the Arsenal have got this endemic problem and Arteta, okay, he is, he's young, he's inexperienced. I kind of, I trust the process in, inter, in inverted commas in terms of, I can see what he's trying to do, but this is just, 
it's just huge the, 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 the sort of almost the corporate institutionalized problems at Arsenal at the moment. And the other thing is, and it was highlighted by, um, by Tuchel's response at Anfield, is that Arteta just doesn't react well enough during games. I don't think there's a consistency of, uh, of selection. I don't understand why Lukonga, who was playing quite well, then gets omitted. I mean, he should be the future. If you are going to play with young players, and I think Arsenal have two outstanding young players in Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, then build around them and don't mess around with the Shackers. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, three defeats from three for Arsenal in the Premier League so far this season. Zero goals scored, nine conceded. They're rock bottom after a 5-0 defeat at Manchester City. Meza Ozil, their former attacking midfielder, tweeting, trust the process. That is grade A trolling. Meza, thank you very much. But Arsenal fans, are we losing any faith in what Mikel Arteta is doing or Gregor? Should we still trust the process? No, I think at this point in time, there's definitely got to be at least some doubt in the process. <sighs> Look, you still, you just, <laughs> the mind boggles. We go, we go around in circles with Arsenal now. You know, Xhaka was close to leaving the club. He was named captain. And then he was sent off all in the space of like a fortnight. That That, that is just peak Arsenal, you know. Um, sent off for a stupid challenge that was totally unnecessary. I just think that Arsenal... I said it last week. I think the, the biggest fear is now that the players are not really playing for them. They're not engaged. The process, they, they don't trust in the process. doesn't matter whether us as pundits or, or the supporters trust in our, our data's process. I'm not sure the players do. Um, and that, you know, while Arsenal are undergoing a bit of an overhaul, they're signing younger players, they're trying to look to the future. I said it last week. There still is the here and now to to live in and to be playing in and to be trying to win results, and that's that's my biggest fear for Arsenal at the moment. I don't think the players are really playing for Arteta anymore. What do you think, Alison? Should they trust the process? No, the cake's not rising, is it? Someone's forgetting to put in the self-raising flour. Um, <laughs> not enough eggs. Uh, it's like a car crash. Um, edition of MasterChef, isn't it? Where everyone laughs and then you don't see the idiot again. Um, no, I, I, there was a lot, there was a lot, there was a lot to unpick actually. Um, formation, was it the right formation? Uh, uh, body language, demeanor, there were a lot of close-ups of 
Rob Holding in particular. And he just looked like, I haven't actually seen a player look that despondent and bewildered for quite some time, actually. Not in the Premier League anyway, sort of a mixture of anger and disillusionment and um, just just generally, well, how, how is this happening and what am I supposed to be doing? And it was all crystallised for me as I was watching Chelsea defend because the, the Chelsea defenders, A, looked like they were enjoying the challenge, which was a tough one because they also uh, were playing with 10 men for half the game. And there was never any space given. So every single player who might have received the ball found themselves closed down. There was there was no room to turn and choose what to do. There was no it was a, it was a luxury for Man City to sort of have time to think. And um, Chelsea defenders did not give the opposition time, time to move, time to think, and crucially looked like they were enjoying it as a challenge. And there was it was like they want a fair, some sort of fairy tale, some sort of magic to happen to them at Arsenal to make it all go right. I mean, that's the toughest part of management, isn't it? That it's not going right and you have to dig around for a solution. And instead, they're getting, they're getting worse and worse. And yes, it was against Manchester City and that has to be said and they're not an easy team to play against. But it's almost to me that is an irrelevance when you look at the fact they weren't relishing the opportunity at all. So you could say sometimes, uh, well, since Pep Guardiola's arrived at City, I think too many teams have played against City and sort of given up before they started. They've had their mind on the next match. They accept they're going to lose and they don't give it everything. They don't want to give too much energy because they're going to lose anyway. And you can get away with that if you're newly promoted or you're a very small club with no resources and you've only spent 10 million over the summer. That is not the case with Arsenal. They have spent a lot of money. They are meant to be a big club. They are sticking with a manager who's supposed to have a plan. And yet they still behaved as if they were oh, way, way, way down the line, way down the pecking order, proper underdogs who weren't enjoying themselves. That that lack of um, uh, heart for the battle, I found very worrying on their behalf. I think the, the comparison with Chelsea is quite a quite an interesting one. <laughs> you Tuchel is, is for all for all the kind of transformation that that's happened since he arrived there. He's getting the players to do what they do best, and he's making everyone look like they are they are they are suited to the system. So you, you could look at, look at Chelsea's defence, and you've got Rudiger and Christensen who have had pretty wobbly periods at the club, and they look like really at home in a back three. They're not being asked to do things that they're not good at. He's make he's it's pragmatic as well as kind of you know he wants everyone to press very high and whatnot, but he's. He's looked at what he's got and, he's th- and he thinks this is the best way for us to play. Arsenal, he's asking players to do things they can't do. Calm Chambers is not good enough to be getting the ball and playing out from the back. He's not actually good enough to be a centre-half in the Premier League. I don't know, that sounds kind of cruel, but it, it's, it's glaringly obvious now. And yes, they've got injuries at the back. And yes, you know he's having to play players he probably doesn't want to be at the club. But I think another manager... As a different approach, he sees he sees what he has at his disposal, and he he makes the best of it. And Arteta, as I said last week, he did that in the early stages of his of his Arsenal tenure. That first half season, he th- he looked at how many goals were conceding, how wide open they were, and they looked solid. And it's just completely disintegrated now. There's not you say trust in the process. I don't think anyone knows what the process is anymore. Just reflecting on 
some of the things the guys have said, it's really interesting to then think about the transfer dealings they've made this summer and what they've prioritized. Because when we talk about what the process is, the process off the pitch seems to be sign talented young players and to give players like Emil Smith-Rowe a big contract and the number 10 shirt. And that that's all well and good because it is actually some sort of plan. But that's the kind of plan you put in place where if Arteta had had 18 months of making Arsenal really you know, either solid or hard to beat or if they'd kind of solidified themselves as the sixth best team in the Premier League and it'd be like, okay, phase one is complete and we've cleared out some of the deadwood and now we're going to sign loads of young players and now we move on to phase two. But it's kind of, they mumbled and bumbled their way through phase one and we're kind of still in it. And as Gregor said, it's slightly unraveled. And then you add in all these young players who are, or, or players who've been there a while, like Gregor says, Callum Chambers, I would add to that Rob Holding. I don't think he's good enough to be an Arsenal defender for what they want to be trying to achieve. Um, you you add in the players that they've signed, it doesn't necessarily fix things. It makes it even more difficult for a young manager who, and credit to Alison, has said it all along, has never been a manager before. And he's got arguably one of the most difficult jobs in the Premier League. And Alison talked about Rob Holding looking confused and a bit downcast. How often does the camera pan to Arteta on the touchline and we see him looking increasingly lost and isolated? So it, it, when we reflect on some of the things the guys have talked about, it then becomes quite worrying that off the pitch they've decided, like, let's sign loads of young players and we'll move on. Everything's fine. And actually, what they're up against when you've signed a load of young players it becomes a lot more difficult. I think one of the interesting things with their transfer dealings is, yes, I've spoken about it before. I think it's good to have a, you know, that outlook. You spoke about Cristiano Ronaldo earlier on, you know, Arsenal said we're going to sign young players for the future. But I still think given the money that they've spent on these players, in my mind, they've spent what, 135 million quid so far this summer. Jesse Lingard, they could have got, I reckon, for 25 million. West Ham probably will. West Ham got Kurt Zuma for 30 million, who I think Arsenal could have got. Again, I'm not sure he's the answer to all their defensive problems, but certainly more commanding in the air than Ben White. And that's an issue, I think, for Arsenal. Tammy Abraham's gone for 40 million, less than 40 million, but I reckon Arsenal would have paid 40 million for him. Eve Basuma, I know the Arsenal fans like, 40 to 50 million. Even if I value Eve Basuma at 50 million, those four players would have cost you 145 million. Yes, bigger salaries, clearly, most of them. Um, but I think they would have solved more of an issue than loads of these young players for the future. And I think loads of ex-Arsenal players have pointed this out of late. The future is one thing. What about right now? There is no right now for Arsenal. And I think that's the most difficult things thing for their fans to take on board right now. You know, this is going to be another struggle and it might be for two, three seasons, I think. Hugh, have you thought about a job at Sotheby's? Because just, <laughs> <laughs> that sounded so much like, I've got Bazuma. He could be 40 million, but I'm seeing 45. And at Arsenal, I'm seeing 50. I can see Arteta. He wants to spend 65 million. That's 65 million to the man with the very strange hair at the back. He doesn't seem to smile very much. It's... Well, well they, they've spent 40 million on Martin Erdegaard. I mean, the last thing they actually needed was an attacking midfielder. That's 40 million for a guy with a nice smile because he knows the dressing room needs a lift. I mean, it's not, it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. It, it's, um... That's the thing, isn't it? I think if we're, then, we're obviously heading towards a discussion around Arteta and his future. You then look at this group of players. It's not like 
to make a comparison with Chelsea again, when Lampard, it became clear that it was probably going to go. You looked at the group of players and the big argument for sacking Frank Lampard was that another manager could do better with this group of players. You look at Arsenal's squad and actually you go, who the hell is going to do more? Like, fine, there will be there would be the initial bounce. But then you would have a manager who would come in and go, I don't want all these young kids. I want a bit of experience. And so they then have to spend more money. There's, there's no guarantees with that group of players that the club have assembled for Arteta, I don't think, at the minute. It's a very, very good point. I think Norwich, Burnley and Spurs in their next three games. I know some people are looking much further down the line, but I actually think, you know, especially with Norwich and Burnley in there, Arsenal need some points on the board. You know, if you if, imagine they lose those two games, then they're playing a Tottenham who by that point in time, probably still in the top four, beat them. You know, Arsenal fans, I don't think are going to have much time for Mikel Arteta after that. So huge games coming up for Arsenal. Um, there was a huge game at the weekend, probably the biggest. Chelsea fighting to a one-all draw at Anfield. We mentioned their performance already. Reese James's red card on the stroke of half-time meant Mo Salah equalised from the spot after a lovely Kai Havertz opener. Alison, was this a missed opportunity for Liverpool, though? Played half the match against 10 men. Of course it was. I mean, I, it was tough. I, I, and after the game was over, I was, if it was indeed possible, I was filled with more admiration than I had been before for Tuchel and Chelsea. As I've already said, that was a masterclass in how to respond to adversity. Um, so they all felt very aggrieved that they were down to 10 men, even though technically there was no choice, probably. Um, but, you know, they, and they even looked like they could get a winner. And I was, if I had a, if I had a criticism, it would be I think they could have been a bit, little bit braver um, to try and engineer more on the break in the second half. But it's, it would be a tiny, tiny little quibble. They were very good, but yes, absolutely. Um, Liverpool were at home. They had Virgil back. They were um, a man to the good. Uh, they should have found a way, but it, it got just got very repetitive. There was. No sense of really mixing it up to try and um, knock Chelsea off their stride. They knew what they were dealing with and Liverpool just kept repeating it and repeating it. For example, um, I don't really want to knock Harvey Elliott because he's a young player who's clearly relishing the responsibility being given to him by Klopp and everyone's delighted he's doing so well. But honestly, in the history of football, nobody has ever passed the ball more often to Mo Salah than Harvey Elliott did. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's quite funny. But what it does actually illustrate is that it was more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. Get the ball. Oh, we'll just go uh, always down the right. Uh, A little pass to Mo Salah. Uh, Chelsea managed to mop that up really well. So I, I got frustrated that I actually got frustrated at the lack of adaptability by Klopp in that instance. This was a puzzle, needed a bit of uh, cleverness to unlock it, and Liverpool didn't have it. Tom, what did you make of Liverpool's performance? Missing something? Well, I don't know whether they're missing something or whether there's something that's supposed to help them in these moments is actually sat on the bench in Thiago Alcantara. And he was brought in to Liverpool with the idea that he would be the player in these moments when the all action cut and thrust of that front three wasn't quite working and teams were sitting deep there would be he would be a player to um you do exactly what Alison said unpick the opposition and he just seems a little bit lost in this Liverpool setup and he's been there a while now and I think a lot of Liverpool fans keep waiting for him to have a game where they go there we go that's the guy we signed that's the guy 
Um, and I just, yeah, it, whenever he comes off the bench, I never think, oh, well, Liverpool are going to win now. And I think that's perhaps the player he should be. And that maybe when you look at the bench, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, obviously a player that's had a lot of injury problems, but that I think showed incredible promise and exciting play when Klopp played him in central midfield. And that kind of bit more dynamic, a different player to Thiago. He's not going to sit there and pick passes, but he might burst through a gap and, and make something happen, as they say. So I'd be interested to see whether he comes back. But yeah, the, the, the Thiago one continues to puzzle me because to me, these should be the games where he either comes off the bench or starts and, as Alison says, unlocks the opposition. And I just, I, I can't remember a time when he's done that yet for Liverpool. Uh, Gregor, do you think we learned from this game that Chelsea are going to be stronger than many people feel in terms of the title race? Because it was... You know, I'm not going to say the performance of champions, but certainly the resilience of champion. I think it underlined that they're, def- they're you know they're absolutely challengers this season, and underlined. You know, we've been talking about the impact of of managers, and uh, as I said before, Chelsea's Chelsea's players look like they're all playing in their best positions and excelling. And was, uh, Adam Bate at Sky Sports wrote a really interesting piece after this game, saying that. Um, Chelsea the ninth best defensive record when Tuchel arrived, and in the twenty two games since since he's been Chelsea manager, they've conceded six fewer goals than any any other team. They've, I think they've kept thirteen clean sheets, and he's not bought a defender. We're talking about Arsenal having to go and, and and clearly we're starting from a different base. But as I said before, Rudiger, Christensen. There are question marks about Silva and whether he can get around the pitch, but he's playing, he's protected. He's playing, if he plays, he plays in the middle and he's protected by two players who are more athletic. There's just a balance. Aspilicueta playing in the right of that right side. Rhys James has played there. The, it's about coaching as well. As Alison said, there was no space. They all, they all knew their jobs. They all had really good relationships with players around them. And yes, you could say... Chelsea are, are, are lucky enough to have two really good holding midfielders and Kante, who's the best uh, in the world. But the structure, the, the foundation, that's because of the manager, that's coaching. And we see, we saw it. I mean, you go down to 10 men, you see even more. And absolutely, if, you're, if you've got the best defensive <laughs> record in the league, which it looks like they will have this season, and you've just added uh, Lukaku to uh, already an embarrassment of riches up top, of course, they're challengers. Uh, right then, let's move to our roundup before we end the podcast. And Gregor, I'm going to stay with you. We'll have a look at uh, all of the other games in the Premier League this weekend. We'll start at the London Stadium, shall we? West Ham 2, Crystal Palace 2, a London derby, which didn't go the way David Moyes would have hoped, but a good game nonetheless. And Palace maybe should have taken all three, Gregor? Yeah, it looked like a, a fantastic game. Another game where Mikel Antonio kind of underlined his, his growing value and importance for, for West Ham. His interplay with Fornals for the first goal was remarkable and his composure, that seems like something new, I think, from Antonio. He is growing undoubtedly as a player. And then the confidence of his strike in his, uh, for his goal for West Ham second. He is, he, if he can stay fit, he's going to be so, so important for West Ham this season. And Conor Gallagher, I think the same could be said for for Palace. He could he could prove to be their their most important recruit of the summer, and that he knows where the goal is. Ever since he's gone out on loan to first to Charlton, then to Swansea, then to West Brom, he scores goals from midfield. And I really enjoyed his interview after the game. He's he said, 
I want to affect the game as much as possible. It's not, you know, there's no kind of superfluous flicks and tricks. He just wants to be a solid all-around midfielder, gets into the box. And having said that, his little flick, his little kind of cross turn to create the space for the for his second goal was was uh, sublime. So, yeah, that's look, look a f- fantastic game. Obviously, a big big one for Palace getting their first goals of the season and getting off the mark. So, green shoots for Palace. Alisson keeping the London theme going. Spurs are top of the table after a 1-0 win over Watford. Three wins from three. What do you make of them? Well, I, I make of it, I am... I must be very thick because I keep thinking the walk from Tottenham Hale Station to the stadium is 10 minutes and it's not. It's about <laughs> half an hour. I forget that every time. Anyway, but um, Spurs fans were happy because of that lovely symmetry that their team is top and Arsenal are bottom. And that must be an absolute intense pleasure to them. But that masked, I think, what they might be feeling in the depths of their souls because it, it wasn't scintillating stuff. And if you watched only watched um, the highlights, you would think that Harry Kane had an okay game. He was really sluggish until the very end. So I'm sort of hoping on behalf of him and the club that that he sort of woke up at the end and we saw him starting to think, oh, yeah, I can link up with Son. That was nice, wasn't it? I remember that. I remember I did enjoy that. I know I wanted to leave it, but I did enjoy that. So I think he'll, he will start to get back into his groove. But um, I found myself struggling for um, – it wasn't an entirely enjoyable match. It was um, a bit like Spurs under Mourinho in some respects. It's a very functional team. But for as long as you've got um, Son to watch, who probably is the nicest man in football and honestly, the, the most infectious smile, a rather silly goal because it was um, bad keeping and a free kick that sort of just bounced in, really. It's a bit silly. Um, uh, and also, if you've got Hoiberg to watch, who I think is actually still improving, he's he can be both things. He's, um, he's very important to have in the heart of your midfield and... Um, has a proper physical presence and reads the game well. But some of his passing is so delicate and thoughtful and and does unlock defences. So it wasn't all bad, but it wasn't it wasn't great. And um, Watford I've got, got sort of got the feeling that um they've got enough there to be okay. And I'll stop talking now. This is supposed to be a roundup and I'm <laughs> We'll see if you can get it shorter the next time around. Um Tom Burnley one leads one. The big advert for letting the game flow. Absolutely. Game of the weekend. No surprises that you've sent this one my way, Hugh. Two northern teams kicking the absolute crap out of each other. What a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic game that was. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, some of my highlights. Leeds with an early contender for the almost goal of the season. If you've not watched it yet, watch Match of the Day for a counter-attack that involved three first-touch headers that weren't just clearances. They were actually passes into people. Um, it was only a poor touch from Patrick Banford at the end that let them down. But I mean, I said it on the podcast last season that he'd proved me wrong. I love watching Patrick Banford. He's such a brilliant modern footballer and he likes a scrap. He's not really got a problem with Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky uh, leaving a few challenges on him. He mugs off the opposition fans. He's great in post-match interviews, but he's also his all-round play is improving all the time. If you talk about a player that you can watch getting better and better and better. I just thought he was absolutely superb. Um, and I really hope he gets a chance for England. For Burnley, I mean, it was encouraging. I think we talked about um, 
the goals they conceded early on in the season, we talked about them a few weeks ago and said, is this the season they're going to go down? This was an encouraging performance. One interesting thing for me, they signed Maxwell Cornet from Lyon. I want to know how he's going to fit in the team. And I really hope it doesn't mean that Dwight McNeil won't play because he's the best thing about Burnley by a long, long, long way. Um, so it could be exciting if they manage to get both of them in the team. Or maybe it'll mean someone makes a cheeky bid for Dwight McNeil, who I think is a very, very talented player. Probably stick Cornet at left back, I think. And um, he's a tough tackler too, so he should fit right in. Great. Uh, Gregor, Newcastle, still without a win. They really should have had one though, shouldn't they? Yeah, you talk about kind of the same old, same old Arsenal, but it really feels like it's going to be another season of the same old Newcastle. Basically, San Maximan, if he's fit on fire and they're leading light, their most kind of creative outlet. Callum Wilson, if he's fit, scoring the goals that will probably keep them in the Premier League. Just um, he limped off, I think, in the 68th minute with a, a thigh injury, so that's going to be a worry. But you know that. that their season rests upon those two players, I think. The rest is deeply average. And as, and they, as I say, they've got patchy in, injury records. So, um, and it was, uh, you know, again, a pretty toxic atmosphere. The fans are back and very eager to turn on Steve Bruce. And it's understandable given the kind of the acceptance of, of mediocrity at that football club. So that, that was Newcastle. Southampton, there was... Martin Hardy kind of summed up their superiority in his report today. They had twice as many shots, two-thirds two -thirds of possession, passed the ball almost twice as much, and their passing accuracy was just over 20% better than Newcastle's. And, you know, we've kind of... Southampton were getting picked apart just before, you know, in the summer. Not not done much in the transfer market apart from apart from Armstrong coming in, and everyone was pretty worried about them. But again, you're seeing the value of a, of a good coach. They know, you know, they've... They've got a, an identity, the way they press and hound teams. Um, so, you know, I, I think there will be periods of the season where Southampton struggle, but they they have a very good coach at the helm. Kevin Gineppo brought his shooting boots as well. I think it would have been a very different story for Newcastle United. And another Alison good performance for Tino, sorry, Valentino Livramento. Um, yeah, come on, say it with more passion, you. Come on. Valentino Livramento. There you go, there you go. Alison, Bryson nil, new improved Everton too. Yes. Um, well, the comedy came from the um, penalty with... <laughs> I mean, I could watch. I could have watched footage of Richarlison's face and various <laughs> degrees of perplexity and indignation and spoilt brattishness over and again. <laughs> he just he, he wanted to take that penalty, and I don't know why because he's not the designated penalty taker. So it seemed very strange. He was just sort of pouting a lot and looking very perplexed. But anyway, his um, but the penalty was scored, so that's fine. Um, on a serious note, I'm so pleased for Rafa Benitez because he. Almost more than Arteta needed a great start um, to his career as a former Liverpool manager at Goodison. And that's more or less what he's got. My brother-in-law is one of those people who hates Liverpool more than he loves Everton. He loves Everton, but he's defined by how much he hates Liverpool. And so I assumed I couldn't even bring up the fact that Rafa was manager and he's already saying, no, I don't mind. Seems to be doing all right. I mean, this is this is phenomenal. This is <laughs> seismic stuff. So if my brother-in-law is saying that, that means the majority of Everton fans are getting getting used to the idea and uh, liking what he's doing. And so far, he's got the magic touch. I mean, Damari Gray, um, cheap as chips, need, obviously just needed a manager to get the best out of him. And that 
I mean, it could go wrong, but so far he's looking um, very hard to play against and, and, and is, is fairly um, comfortable in front of goal as well. So bravo. And Graham Potter just said um, we can play better and we know they can. So it's not it's hardly a crisis for them, but well done, Rafa. Uh, Tom, very quickly, Villa 1, Brentford 1. Yeah, delighted to see Ivan Tony score his first Premier League goal, not least because he's in my fantasy football team. I think Brentford, five points from three games. They've got Wolves, uh, I think, and Brighton after the international break. So brilliant start for them. Just Villa very quickly want to make the point that I had a look at the stats and I know it's only three games, so let's not get carried away. And Buendia scored. I think he's very talented, but they've created 20 chances so far this season, only nine shots on target in three games. This time last season, 18 shots on target, 42 chances created, which was the most in the league after three games and obviously included that very famous win, 7-2 win against that rubbish Liverpool team. <coughs> Sorry, Alison. Just very, very early days, but maybe we're seeing the no Jack Grealish factor coming into play early on at Villa but hopefully Emmy Wendier and the boys can step up after the international break although to back up Christian Perslow you know Ings setting up Wendier you know two of the new boys Watkins back as well I just thought it was quite interesting that in early days they're understandably seeing a bit of the they're missing Jack obviously Gregor Norwich 1 Leicester 2 finally Probably a debut to forget for, for Brandon Williams, I think, who's joined on loan uh, from Manchester United. He gave the ball away in the, in the build-up to, to Vardy's opener and then his positioning was was kind of all over the place when Albrighton scored the winner. So last week about... You can say naive, it. You can say it. naivety. Just <laughs> say it. I know you want to. I don't. I, look, they've, they've had a tough start. Liverpool, Man City and Leicester City. Next, you know, it's easier next week. It's Arsenal. Um, but <laughs> I think... I still think they've. I still think they've got a much better chance than they did last time they were up. Um, Leicester. I think that, you know defensively they're in, they're still kind of still very uh, very very short when they've got Fafana Evans and Vestergaard was injured in training. Obviously arrived from Southampton and so Yunchu had a bit of an erratic start. He gave away a goal against West Ham. Needless lunge kind of uh, to block and give away a penalty um, on Saturday. So. You know, I think they're definitely short centre half, and they'll be desperate for for uh, for some of those reinforcements to arrive. Um, but still, they came out with a win with with Vardy, two of their old old warhorses, Vardy and Albrighton, still firing. So you're up to date on everything that happened in the Premier League, and we will be back on Thursday with a look at the end of the transfer window and a look ahead to World Cup qualifiers as well. But Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, Alison Rudd, thank you for being with me. My thanks to Henry Winter as well, and thank you all for listening. Remember to make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times for more award winning journalism go online check it out it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.